0: Hello and a warm welcome again here to feeling terrific. I'm very happy to have um, yeah another um, interesting guest uh, with me today. Um, a person I basically don't know. I also haven't um, talked to before, so today is the first time. And um, yeah, those conversations are all, always uh, very interesting. And um, to see okay how. How you you connect basically, or maybe also not connecting. Um, but I hope it will be the first case. So let's see. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe a quick uh, intro. So um, we are having uh, Tian Kai um, today. Um, I hope I pronounce the co- uh, name correctly. So if not, please let me know. And uh, with a very interesting title of this episode, uh, if I'm yeah allowed to say that, it's uh, Dragon or Eagle, German or Chinese, doesn't matter. Meet Tian Kai. So I think, yeah, let's see what, what this is all about. Um, But um, yeah, maybe a a question before um, Tiang or Kai, what do you prefer?
1: It's a very good question. Actually, there's a small story to it because um, basically when my parents gave me that name, they wanted to ensure that it's both um, related to my Chinese heritage but also a name that could be Europeanized, basically. (laughs) Um, And they already, from the very beginning, thought that Kai would work on its own as a European name, but Tianka would be the full official name. So I used all my life both names. So Kai was always the one where everybody got used to and got closer to me with. um, And Tianca was always the official name, like when people didn't know me. So I'm actually good with both. Um, I think Kai just from my own feeling feels closer to me. So let's go with Kai today.
0: Perfect, then let then let's take uh, Kai. And um, yeah, so you also have uh, your own uh, YouTube channel, right? And um, although you work in data, it's kind of connected with data, but there's much more behind it. And I'm yeah curious to get a little bit more uh, into that. Mm-hmm. And so we will talk about different um, topics, but among, among, uh, um, among them, or among others, um, there will be um, also, or we will also tackle the, the motivation behind and what really drives you as a person. So yeah, thank you for your time today and uh, happy to have you.
1: Yeah, I'm very glad to be here. Very excited about this conversation. Thanks.
0: Perfect. Yeah, maybe let's start um, then with the, yeah, um, I think uh, most of the time, most challenging question for for, for yeah the, the, the conversation partners, right? Who are you?
1: A great open question. I would say in my current situation, I would define myself as a father of two boys, um, a husband, um, a data leader, and also um, an immigrant background German citizen as well. Um, And that's just because my identity probably is fluctuating in the priorities and the order of things, but that's the current mood I have. And I would describe myself in that order.
0: Yeah. So, um, please allow me uh, to say congratulations on two children and, um, your, your <laughs> husband status, <laughs> congrats on that. Um, yeah. Um, so, so you are also already mentioned, right. Um, you, you are in, within the data field. And, uh, I also mentioned that you are having a YouTube channel. So basically the YouTube channel is, um, about music per se, I would say correct me if I'm wrong. So, and when, for example, when I watch your videos, right, I really feel the the passion so it's not just like, okay, there's someone, there's someone doing a music video about data and okay, that's it. So I could, I can really feel that there's something behind. Right. So maybe let's tackle both of them. So how or why data and how, or why music and why together?
1: Yeah. Um, again, I would actually go back to my beginning and I mean, my childhood basically. So, um, Basically, I started playing piano when I was five, and that was because my father forced me, more or less, and it was his dream to basically um, to be a pianist himself, but he couldn't do it, so he put that dream on me, and I hated playing the piano until I was 10 or so, and at that point, I remember when basically uh, I told my parents very seriously, I don't want to play piano anymore, this sucks, I don't want to do this. And my mom went to the sheet music store and bought me pop music, sheet music. So there was like Backstreet Boys and Spice Girls, all the 90s stuff, basically, back then. Um, and when I played that, I realized I don't only have to play the Mozarts or the Beethoven thing. I can actually play anything I want. And that means I can be creative as much as I want. So there was a whole switch of me turning around and loving playing piano again. And like really turning it for me and doing basically my own creative things. So it led me to write songs when I was 15 and uh, let me just be also a bar pianist during my study years and having now still the music part in me, as you know, uh, with me all the time. The other side of it, why data, I think comes from me actually as a subject in school, having loved math always, and I was always good in math. And um, later on, I was interested in computers too. And then I studied actually a mix of marketing and database systems which basically was um, both my sides of loving the creative world and the whole advertisement world of marketing that I really enjoyed and that had a music part in it too, and the other side of just being good with math and computers and kind of going to IT. And that led to actually being marketing analytics being a field when I graduated, and there was, like basically the boom and data available for marketing stuff, like for social media, for paid media, for websites, all these data was all over there. And I jumped right into it, into that field, worked in it, and still I'm working on it, right? Um, and that accompanied my whole life. So I, I don't know. I mean, it feels like this music part of me was more of the personal side of me and um, always been there. But also the way I chose my subject matter and what I studied and how I ended up in that job also felt personal. It wasn't until like a few years ago though, until I actually merged the music side and the data side. And for me, it was always two different things. And um, only that happened recently.
0: How did you feel when when those both sides merged?
1: Uh, I mean, to be fair, it was my own fault to merge it, right? So it wasn't like that it just happened. Um, I remember that there was a time when I felt like digital analytics was very misunderstood. And there was a whole thing about, um, leadership often feeling like data is not delivering any value and um, that analytics people should work more in a service function and not being part of decision-making and these kind of things. Um, and that led me to be me being really frustrated. So I remember the feeling of being frustrated, but as usually when I'm frustrated or feel any emotions, I channel it into music. And for the first time ever, I wrote a rap song. And I have never even written a rap song before. So I basically channelled. I thought this is now the image that analytics need. It needs to be rebellious. It needs to be uh, provocative. It needs to be direct. So I chose to write, write rap lyrics. I recorded it over. I think I wrote, wrote the lyrics in one night. Recorded it on the next day, and just pushed it out. And it was more about just trying to get um, the right image out of analytics and not anything else. And because I knew that I wasn't a good rapper either, um, it would anyway just be a joke. So I would never actually get offended by people saying that it was not a good rap or anything. So I pushed it out, but unexpectedly, it didn't only internally cause a big wave in, in my company, in my employer side, but also externally on LinkedIn and YouTube, and kind of, they got forwarded and shared by all the data experts in the world. And that was a big aha effect for me. I was like, oh wow, so it can work? It means that you can I can actually use my music site too benefit my professional side and vice versa. Um, why not do it more? So that kind of was the first trigger of it all.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think that, um, that's a very genuine um, interest why, why you started it kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So really, again, please correct me if I'm wrong, but really making um, the topic data accessible to people, right? Mm-hmm. So making the way yeah, kind of may- maybe also working against bias or something like that, yes. right? Yes,
1: absolutely. So,
0: yeah. You know, the, 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 the thing is, um, after watching your videos, I'm more closely to data, but uh, still uh, I failed my um, final school exam, for example, due to math. So <laughs> <laughs> no, that means a lot to me that at least I brought you closer to, to data. So that's, that's a very nice compliment. Thank you. Yeah yeah but uh, you mentioned also one thing that you do you, during your um uh, study time right so you, you you were in a bar and playing a piano and so so why haven't you been um coming out of it and being in hollywood or something
1: well i mean <laughs> first of all a, being a bar pianist is not like a jumping board into a music career right ah, i mean okay. that, i would not say it that way because i was Uh, Look, it was like uh, these kind of theater places. It was actually, for those familiar with Berlin, there was this old airport, Tempelhof, and um, the Tempelhof, the the airport shut down. But in that entry building on the left side, there's this small theater that never stopped running. And I was exactly there. Um, And the theater basically had a pre-show element to it and an after show element to it. And I was part of the pre and the after show, basically, to play piano in the background. So I was not actually on stage. I mean I was once or twice, but just as a like a reward. But um I was actually more the background bar pianist. So I wouldn't exactly say it's like the jumping board into like being a super performer or something. But it was definitely good and reliable money for the rent that I had to pay. So <laughs> that was the good side of it for me.
0: <laughs> but um but you know, Kai, I'm i I'm working here on your reputation, right? So maybe yeah. someone is listening and you're totally working against it but anyway oh,
1: oh right oh, sorry <laughs> that's just me being modest maybe <laughs> But yes. thank you
0: perfect yeah and maybe let's um, tackle um, a topic which is kind of close uh, to my heart right so personal development um, so when when you have your for example the, the recordings when you think about new episodes or whatsoever right I assume not every recording goes kind of smoothly mm-hmm. so for example, also when I think about it on, on my side, so how? So I'm really curious, right? So how are you making sure that during those times you stick to your plan and just go with it?
1: Um, it's a very good question. I would say maybe first of all that I was in the past maybe perfectionistic when it came to when it came to my music stuff, but I actually stopped that because I realized I became my own enemy and never being able to finish it because I always think something can be improved. And uh, I basically adopted the attitude that it should be just be good enough. And how I define good enough for myself is if critical elements of my art are working and if in the not so critical elements, there's small mistakes or something, that is fine. It is fine because that is authentic me and that's all I can do. So what that means is then when I create my music stuff and when I write songs and record them or I like record a video of me live playing the piano and singing I do pay attention and I do decide consciously first what is the most important parts of it right so certain parts of the lyrics should be definitely heard should certain uh, parts of the music should be definitely heard but some are more important than others because they are like certain emphasis points in, in everything I do, even if it's just a silly parody, but there's still important things to make a joke land, right? So what I'm saying is that if I would record it, I would just check these parts mostly. And if these parts work and everything else is like a little bit fewer small mistakes, I'm good with it. I actually just move on. I'm like, okay, this is done. I'm gonna edit this now, but package it a little bit, and then I'm just pushing it out. Um, also thinking that for myself, Um, for people that watch it for the first time, they anyway don't pay much attention to all the details. And there are, I guess, people that watch it over and over again, could be, but most people see it as a one-off and then they laugh about it or smile about it and then move on, right? So it actually doesn't matter to them. When the effect of the art piece lands, then it's over. And that's all I wanted to do. So I, I stopped panicking myself and being anxious about all the details anymore and actually just do it. I would say even to the point now that I put more emphasis on the preparing part. So when I actually record, it doesn't take me more than two or three takes, for example, for a live piano video to just be happy with it Um, because I have prepared already a lot. And in my head already went through why I'm paying more attention to while I'm doing it. So, um, yeah, the mindset basically helps me to be better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I really like the, the, the part you, you mentioned in, in the beginning of, of your statement, right? Uh, being authentic. And I mm-hmm. think that's also combined with what I mentioned in the beginning. I When I, when I said that, I really feel the passion and the genuine mm-hmm. interest in what you do. And, sure. um, yeah, um, that's basically a, a good thing. So, um, yeah, keep it. And, um, you know, yep. when you see an increase um, of uh, listeners next time, so I was uh, talking to a lot of people uh, because... Uh, before our recording, so oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. On it to mention it. yeah, I'm working on it, but uh, yeah, please give me a little bit of more, more time to that. Nice. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm wondering, right? So I started my, my, um, podcast back in, um, yeah, October, November last year. So 2022, and, um, it's interesting to, to see the development, right? So when I think about how I was coming across in my first video, for example, I was like, okay, <laughs> how, why I'm wondering how, how is it for you? So when, if you would rewatch or re-listen to, to your first one, how, how, what are your thoughts? How would you feel? Oh, it's a really good question.
1: I mean, so the thing is that if you check the history of my YouTube channel that exists in 2005, and that is when I started uploading videos very unsuccessfully i would say admittedly but i did put myself out there when i was very young already hmm. and i think that part already trained me a lot just to be comfortable with being on camera right very simply put. um there was a part the older you get the more actually you pay attention to it and the more you somehow care about the image and you want to don't you don't want to seem unprofessional either right so that's the whole working on the side of being a full-time being in a full-time job part of it all so that obviously came to mind. But when I actually um, started then recording those videos, I remember that I I felt like I was more paying attention to performing and getting the notes and the singing and the playing right, rather than how I look on camera. And I think, though, it works really well to be a musician, to hide behind the movements and the mimics of the song, because that's anyway what counts, right? So. Um, speaking is different because I can choose to look at you on the screen or into the camera and everything. Right. And then there's a lot of choices, but while performing, actually, for me, there's not a lot of choice. I have to focus on the performance itself. Um, so even afterwards watching it, um, I don't really would, I would not really say a lot that I would change. The only thing I would maybe change is that if I do a funny video. I could probably smile a little bit more myself. And that's I get told myself because it's supposed to be a funny thing. Why am I so serious, right? That's the only thing I noticed in my first videos, but I changed that very quickly to also enjoy what I'm doing at the moment, to also smile, because otherwise it seemed a little bit synchronized, right? About <laughs> what my message is and uh, what I'm doing, actually.
0: Yeah, I really love your self-reflection pro- uh process and uh <laughs> that, that, that that's also a good thing yeah um maybe coming or adding on on the title i mentioned um or yeah we, we talked about in the beginning right um german or chinese being or mm-hmm.
1: yeah and thank you for the reference to my song by the way i know that you were referring to dragon and eagle's nest so thank you very much for that as well um yeah, I mean, it's, it's the story of my life, right? So just for background, my, my parents are from China, both they came in the 80s for their studies. Um, then I was born in Berlin, Germany, and grew up here. Um, I visited my Chinese relatives um, every two years or so um, since then ever, um, and but it always felt like being an outsider, right? And I think coming, being born in the 80s and experiencing being an Asian a heritage a person uh, in the 90s was different than now because now it feels like a lot more merged and a lot more open-minded. Back then, it just felt a lot like being the outsider, right? I mean, I remember I, me being the only agent face in elementary school and the only agent face in the class of my uh, middle high school, and that just became part of me. So I was always a different one, and it always became the mix of me trying to adapt a lot into the rest of the people while everybody else had like a different levels of curiosity towards me um, positively curiosity, negatively, maybe some bias or some discrimination, but it, it always made was part of my life. And I only realized that, that if I would now probably need to choose an identity, I just say that I can't. And I would just say, I'm a German citizen, but I have a Chinese background, just like I introduced myself, right? Because I cannot really say I'm a German or Chinese anymore because both sides would see me as a foreigner. That's always the story I'm saying, because I I just don't fit into completely of that cultural stereotype of being one or the other. Um, But I think it made me a much more open-minded and a much more inclusive person to others, because I realize how it feels to be different, and I intrinsically don't want anybody to feel the same. And I apply that at my job in my way I treat people generally in the world and always want to make people feel that they're not that different. And what makes them different actually is a superpower and not just kind of their disadvantage. Um, and yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think I'm a very positive person and an optimist, but I think it's, I cannot not acknowledge what negative experience I had, but I just take it to channel that into, uh, the positivity that I have today.
0: Yeah. So, so thank you for sharing that. Um, so, do you have maybe an, an example how the experience from the past shaped you to the? I mean, you you mentioned it already, kind of right? So that you are that you channeled those and in, into positive um, vibes or mindset or whatsoever. Yeah. But do Do you have an example from from this time? And mm. I, mean to, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, um, for me. It, I think it, it takes a lot of courage, right, to proactively with those experiences and those experiences aren't just experiences. Those are, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have asked the question, how did they shape you if they wouldn't have shaped you? Of
1: course. That's true. I mean, I think there might be the small things, um, where, um, how do I say this, but let's say, um there's this let's say people would ask me all the time when i was little say something in chinese right and um i would know a few words in chinese but i wasn't born there so i only knew a little bit from my parents and so on but it at some point it felt really annoying to be asked that question right because i felt like i already knew that i would probably speak better german than i do speak chinese so why even ask me but at the same time, it's that mix of curiosity, and they don't mean it that way. So I told myself that it's just curiosity, but I still feel, felt annoyed by that whole thing. And I think this, if I think about it in a grand scheme of things today, I would feel like people all have different heritages and they all come from different places. But it's, it should be their choice to share how much they want about the heritage and how much there is, right? So I don't push too hard on asking how people come from, if the, what language they speak, what heritage they have, and so on. And I kind of just go with the flow and see how willing they are to talk about it on their own. And if they seem very talkative and sharing things, then I ask more questions. But I would leave it to them a little bit more to um, decide on their own if they want to share these things or not. And I, maybe that's one of the examples that I would just bring on really thinking about my own childhood and how I'm acting today.
0: Yeah. No, thank you for sharing. And um, isn't it interesting what what kind of impact? small oh, I mean um, small things could have so or maybe those aren't small things but they are pe- appear to be small things or also as you also mentioned those are maybe yeah um they the people don't think about it what they are yeah what kind of impact do they uh, they, they do have with those so yeah that, that that's an interesting one true yeah so you, you also mentioned it already, right, uh, regarding, um, the video, um, being a dragon born in an Eagle's nest. So yeah. that's also a very good, um, title, I would say. And, um, do, do, do you want to share a little bit ar- around it or also maybe adding to the, um, yeah, to, to the topic we just talked about how did, I mean, you also mentioned, right. So that the preparing side of an episode is kind of much more. Of course, maybe taking much more time, but also from a um, mental perspective, from a thought process perspective, I mean, you deal with your own, with yourself. So, yeah. Yes. A very good point. I think you're
1: absolutely right. Even I would even say that Dragon and Eagle's Nest was, for me, it took me the longest ever to write that song. Among all the songs I'm writing, that one took me the longest and you're absolutely right it was the whole process of processing my own thoughts and feelings into a compact piece of music and art right to to get there and i think to be honest it was actually starting with a lot more lyrics and a lot more i wanted to write and i realized i cannot just put like a 10-minute song out there that doesn't make any sense (laughs) how can i actually make it compact? Uh, but the moment of writing all that lyrics actually was therapeutic to me so thinking about what i endured what it means to me now and what I take from it for the future. So I don't want to be bitter about it. or I don't want to have that feeling that everybody is racist, but that it should be now me acting as a um, change maker to let everybody else be more open-minded and act accordingly. And I have that influence to do so. I should not just wait for everybody to get better and become less racist, for example. So that's kind of the the thought process I went there. Um, I mean, the the whole fun element, a lot of things in those songs are also supposed to be more fun and just snippets of entertainment, right? Like for example, that I I, I said, I like Jordan Klinsmann and Jackie Chan equally as much, and that doesn't make any sense to anyone. But for me, it was just football I loved and I love Kung Fu movies too. So I wouldn't ever be able to choose. Or like if people ask me between bread or rice i could not choose i love both so i, I cannot say one or the other right so that was also the sports monument um but yeah I, I really just really getting into it and balancing all of it together in a song uh, was not easy i also i remember that I, I almost forced myself to um think about it and i think the the trigger actually was that in 2020 um, Black Lives Matter happened, right? There was a whole George Floyd thing, and a lot about racism, and a lot of, about systemic racism, and so on. And then there was a lot about how the US is versus the Europe. And I felt like there was like a lot of the Asian side missing of this. And I, I felt for all the sides of this whole thing, and especially for for Black Lives Matter, I felt it all. But I just felt like how does my story fit into all of this? And maybe there's another way for me to process this now with all of the impulse I have. So I kind of forced that moment on me to say, okay, now I'm dealing with this. I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna write this down. I'm gonna make a song out of it and let's see what happens. And I'm glad that I did, right? So still for me, I think it's one of the my proudest achievements of, of my music side of me. It's the most personal song I have, and but also, as I said, the most proud um, piece of art that I have.
0: Yeah. No, um, I leave it with that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, maybe let's have a more um, generic um, point of view now. Um, so I, I, so for example, when, when, when I thought how I would approach a new project like this, right? I haven't done this before. So totally new area. So when you thought about it and how you, you would approach, I mean, it's kind of back in 2005 or something like that, right? But if you remember, What kind of challenges did you face? How did you even start the the thought process regarding the approach? And then, yeah. Oh,
1: wow. Back in 2005, huh? Um, Honestly speaking, back in 2005, being a YouTuber was just cool. So I just felt like maybe I can be a cool YouTuber. (laughs) That was the only thought process I had. Um, I think writing songs was something I just did newly, and I was very proud of being able to write songs. And to be honest, if I look back at the songs, I'm very ashamed of them. Like, not as in that they're not valid pieces of art. It's more about that there's so much teenage angst in there and just, like, a very naive thinking behind it that I wouldn't do it anymore today this way. (laughs) But um, it was just I wrote songs, and one way of promoting it seems to be YouTube back in the day, so I did it that way. But um, and you're right, there wasn't really a lot of um, arguments against it for some reason in my head. It was just I'm going to put it out there now and let's see what happens and then um, this is how it is. But I think what was really healthy for me was not to count on it being like a super viral thing. Like I never thought that it would get a lot of attention all of a sudden and then like i will get famous overnight or something. I also didn't count on that. So it was just a healthy expectation towards was true. And I think – what I maybe I already back then thought about, but I now even more clearly think about is that if you are a creative person, you owe it to yourself to at least put it out there because what's the worst that can happen, right? The worst that can happen is that nobody pays attention, but then you just be creative somewhere else and do something else with it. Um, just give it a try. You don't know if it's going to work if you don't put it out there, right? So, and that, I firmly believe in that still. And I also still believe that um, I'm trying a lot of creative things and not everything works, but then you just, you change it, you continue, move on and do something else. Um, but there is something out there for the world where your stuff fits in. So, um, I almost would say don't overthink it, right? So if you feel like you are creative and it's something valuable for the world that people enjoy, put it out there, get feedback and then make it better and better, right? I would say.
0: Yeah. And even if something uh, doesn't work, but you grew as a person, right?
1: Exactly. You learn from it, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think you mentioned it already, kind of, but how, how do you get inspired for new songs? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I get inspired for new songs. Um, there's no consistent way of a structured way of getting inspired, I would say. So sometimes it happens just in the, in the moment of a work, for example, Sometimes this happens in listening to a Spotify playlist and then a random recommendation comes in and I'm like, oh my God, that that leads me to another thought. Sometimes it's um, just me dealing with a topic myself personally a lot. And then I kind of want to make, uh, like write it down and turn it into a piece of art. Um, I would say inspiration comes and goes. Um, and it's more about having that open mind to do get inspired. Right. Mm-hmm. And see things with more open eyes and ears and to be open to the inspiration otherwise you can also see just the very operational part of your life right you can say now i have to do this now do this now do this and you never think beyond and you just have a to-do list every day instead of absorbing moments more consciously and i mean one of my examples i think you're aware right is my um disney songs about meetings medley that also, was really successful in my point of view, and only because it's so relatable to have Disney songs and so relatable to have virtual meetings that it just fit in and everybody enjoyed that joke. Um, but even that was really just me hearing all these sentences of virtual meetings all the time, like "Can you can you see my screen?" and "Sorry, my connection is bad" all the time, over and over again. And then I was listening to a, uh, basically a Disney playlist on on uh, Spotify, and then I heard that "Can you feel the love tonight?" I'm so, like. Maybe that could be, can you share can you see my screen right now? I'm like, Oh, I got it. And then I kind of just started writing. So, right. So that was just the, the fit of it. And then it just led to all of the medley, um, all together. There's no re- I don't think I have a real explanation for it, but that was just how it worked in that moment.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm wondering what is your uh, facial expression when you have the aha moment? No, i
1: don't know. never filmed myself <laughs> here again. Uh, I guess it would be interesting because I don't know. I don't have the helmet right now, so I don't even, I cannot even know how it looks like. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. I, could ima- I can imagine that my just eyes widen all of a sudden, and then I start writing something in my notebook. That's usually how it works. So when I find an idea, I go to my Evernote notepad, and I just start writing down notes, and then I follow up on the ideas later on. <laughs> <laughs> Got
0: it. Okay. Um, so, so, so regarding the, 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 videos you upload on YouTube, right. Um, how, how long does it take you? I mean, you all already mentioned um, when it comes to how long it kind of take to write, uh, write the lyrics and then also to take the video, but how long do you need to edit the video?
1: Um, the, so the, the music, the video editing of the one take songs that I do, right, where it's like really just like a one, one and a half minute video of me playing piano and singing are obviously the least ones, because the only thing I do is put subtitles in and cut the beginning at the end. And that's basically it. That's, and then I put maybe a title in the beginning and like a a YouTube link at the end. And then that's it. That maybe takes me half an hour or so. That's really the easy part. Then there's like the, a little bit more difficult ones where it's like the medley. So it's like different pieces of a long take. And then I have to just um, look at the cuts of it all. That takes a little bit longer, but maybe it's still maximum, like 45 minutes or an hour. Right. I think the most complicated ones I did, and I did that only twice so far, but with like with my Adidas colleagues to actually do these huge music videos of everybody participating all over the world, and getting videos from fifty colleagues and be putting it all together in one file, that took me at least like four days, probably in total. Four days. <laughs> okay. That's like a special project, right? I'm not doing that every week. That is like once a year, and then I'm also good with it. Um, <laughs> that is a lot of work um but the, uh, the thing about editing is though that you get more and more efficient because you get all of the you know all of the hotkeys at some point you know all of the shortcuts and then you get more efficient in it so i'm actually enjoying that process too
0: yeah so i mean four days that's a commitment so yeah. <laughs> there we see it but you know i really thought it would be uh, much longer but um it seems that it's like yeah but maybe you as you mentioned you're the expert now so <laughs> all, all the years of experience yeah, I mean- Look, I
1: mean, it's again about preparation, right? So I do have my like um, good road microphone already set up to record the music live. So I'm not dubbing anything in those live videos. Um, I do take care a little bit of the lighting too. So it already looks good on the lighting part and then not everything is dark and not invisible. So when I get to the editing, it already sounds and looks good. So there's really not much I have to do anymore, right? So it's a little bit that part too, that way I'm saving time, I would say.
0: Yeah. What's your favorite video, your favorite song you did so far? I think we talked about
1: regular Ego's Nest. That's probably the proudest one, right? I think um, the one that was the most unexpected um, uh, success was my data governance song called Governance of Data. That is still to this day being forwarded and being shared among data governance people as like the super cool data governance entry song. So I'm very proud of that too. I didn't know data governance needed it, but it definitely, apparently was a wanted one. I would say the only other thing I would put on the list probably would be the Disney song about meetings. I think that was like a creative spark that doesn't happen that often to me, but it was like a perfect fit. And I remember how excited I was for the world to see it because I knew it would work. It was that thing where like, oh man, this is going to be <laughs> a funny one. And I was very excited the whole time. Well, for other videos, I, I know it's a 50-50, right? And I was go like, like, if it works, it's good. If it's not, fine. Also, it's also okay. But for that one, that I knew it would work. So um, those three, maybe, I would say.
0: Yeah. So so you mentioned also that um, you're having different um, kind of versions, right? So uh, one where you sing um, yourself and play yourself, but then also where you maybe have also different people um, or you have... Uh, yeah, more voices of yours, right? So, so medleys. I'm wondering, how did you come up with doing a duet with, with, with the title, What if we personalize on LinkedIn? Oh, wow.
1: Um, actually, that wasn't me. That was Lina Lotterlandgraf, who was basically the other side of the duet. She asked me if I wanted to do a duet. And at that point, I never did one, very simply put. And I thought it was a really exciting uh, thing to do. And also, I have never, like, I did um, collaborations with like colleagues, right? But that was just more already having a line internally in the office and so on before I make a video. But doing it with a LinkedIn connection was very exciting to me. Like, just very, pretty much a stranger and then finding the common ground of actually being on LinkedIn and then doing it something with like a funny, but um, also personal branding related topic. Um, that was really cool. So. Um, I have to thank Dina for that to just bring me onto that idea and that we did it. But that opened the doors for more duets. Absolutely. So that was like, this is working. I think this is a really cool thing. Uh, Why not do it more? And then I think my my peak of duets was really around Christmas time last year. And that was half me asking for duets, but the other half of being asked to duets. And that was just like, we did five duets or something. Uh, But it was all Christmas parodies. And uh, I, I thought I said to myself, Okay, I'm gonna do all of the Christmas parodies now this year, and then I'm gonna be quiet next year because there's no <laughs> parodies anymore. <laughs> but I'm gonna do it. Um, so yeah, that, that's what, that was a thought process.
0: Yeah. So um, if you um, listen to our conversation so far, I really can recommend this as a spe- specific video. So uh, tune in. Right. Um, yeah. So, so um, you know, what also is of interest uh, for me is also um, culture, right? So culture, it might be um, outside of work, but also um, inside of work, if, if that makes sense, right? And in a recent LinkedIn post of yours, you mentioned feedback culture drives word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Why do you think this is? Yes.
1: So um, I think that feedback culture, what I'm saying there is that Um, Asking and receiving feedback is something that um, people usually underestimate of the power of it. And that means, um, again, asking for feedback, like giving feedback is one thing, and that I think a lot of people do already, uh, uncalled for, but they just do it. And even when you give feedback, you can be constructive or you can be mean about it, right? You can either be solution-driven or you can just be a complainer, and you have to figure out that part to actually make the feedback count. Um, but asking for feedback is much more scary, because then you open yourself up to get also negative feedback, not only good feedback. And that is something that not a lot of people are willing to do, um, so they'd rather not ask for it. But um, I start implementing feedback culture everywhere I work, and I actively drive it myself by being the one asking for feedback, but also encourage others to give me feedback and give others feedback. and coach them to be more constructive about it because we all have a good intent. We all want to get better. So let's help each other to get better. And feedback is key to it. And I think that alone itself makes people open up more about sharing their thoughts and their honest thoughts about it. And it's only then a turnaround from sharing the thoughts with the feedback receiver to creating word of mouth of talking to others about how good the culture is, right? So like basically it's about proactive sharing your feedback to another person. That, um, how happy you are in your current culture and how happy you are with the feedback culture that you have. And this is what I mean with feedback culture, creating word of mouth, because the more you open up the floodgates of people who are willing to talk and be open about it and to share their opinions, the more they do it externally too, not just internally, but that in return creates word of mouth.
0: Do you think this could be combined with purpose?
1: Yeah. Um... Yes, I would say absolutely, but um, I would say the feedback culture is more the how you work on it and the purpose is why you work on it, right? So it should be connected, but one is not really replacing the other, I would say. Obviously, having a purpose makes it more specific to give feedback because you can always relate to the purpose, right? If all of our together purpose is this, how can I help you give you feedback to reach that purpose even better? And the other way around too, um, but I think it's complementary, right? So you have to have both.
0: Yeah. What do you think about purpose is the result of a good feedback culture?
1: Would that mean that the feedback culture becomes the reason why I go to work? Would you, is that what you're saying? Purpose being an outcome of feedback culture?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so, yes. Yeah, so, so I give you an example, right? So it, it's a good thing. You, you ask, it's a good thing. Um, for, for example, um, I left a job once because I didn't feel kind of the, 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 the purpose, right? I mean, the company was great. The colleagues were great, but there was something missing and it's, it maybe it's not, um, just feedback culture per se, right? It, it's a, it's a culture per se, I would say. And for me, it was like missing the cult, the culture piece. Um, the the empathy the um, you are not just a number and, and stuff like that mm-hmm. there was no purpose I Excuse see
1: okay. okay
0: well I would say feedback culture
1: will lead to somebody openly asking what's the purpose here right and you would not be scared anymore to ask for it because you have that good feedback culture of being open minded and helping each other out but a purpose has to still be defined somewhere. And usually that should happen top down, right? From the leadership and cascading down. And my experience with missing purpose is that somewhere down the line, the communication stopped, right? So maybe on the very top, there's somebody who thinks there's a purpose. And somewhere further down, that purpose is lost because it's just not communicated or clear anymore and nobody asks. So in that way, I knew what you're saying. Like if people that would have asked, then the purpose would have been maybe more clear again to everyone. But because nobody is daring to ask, everybody just does whatever they're told, but it doesn't feel like with a purpose. It just feels like because they're told so. And um, that's why I would say, yeah, I I get it. So given that there is a purpose, a feedback culture would make everybody feel that purpose, absolutely.
0: Yeah. You know, this was also, for example, one example, Um, Where I asked you for feedback, right? I mean, your thoughts, your feedback is, yeah, in in this uh, example, kind kind of the same. And I was scared. What would you say? (laughs) Is this thing? So, yeah, but but I took the courage. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So how how did, um, I mean, you you also mentioned, right? So you receive feedback all day. You ask for feedback and so forth. Um, How did feedback help you or shape you to the person you are today? Um, Well, I mean,
1: I I feel like I'm very actively listening to the feedback and I'm trying to improve. I think maybe the most recent uh, feedback I've received was that I should be more diligent in seeing inefficiencies in my team members' work, right? So if there's an overlap of responsibilities or something, that I should be more early on getting into it and then kind of help solving that challenge because that makes everybody more efficient and we have clear responsibilities. So I took that to heart. So I'm, I'm just more diligent now and I'm more observant to see that and I would work on it. Um, I think other ones would be in the past where um, it felt like, like people gave me the feedback, I would be shy from conflicts and that I don't want to have bad conversations. And I took that, I realized that that is true and I don't like conflict still to this day, but I know now that it's needed, right? You need to have the difficult conversations too, to make things work and I'm doing that more now. And, um, the more I did it because I know somebody else told me that feedback, I actively worked on it and I'm, I'm getting better now there too. So, yeah, I would just only say it, it's an engine for me to get better and do things in a more balanced way. I would say.
0: Yeah. No, I really like it, um, having the perspective, perspective um, regarding feedback or about feedback and seeing it as an engine of um, development. Yeah, th- that's a good one. Uh, maybe coming to, 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 to the kind of la- last part. Right. Um, so you also already mentioned it kind of. So you lead the Adidaslas, if, if, if that's the right. Adidaslas. Adidaslas, yeah. Adidas-less, yeah. <laughs> and basically for the people, um, yeah, it's, it's a choir. Right with uh, fifty plus people, um, how did it all start?
1: Well, yeah. Um, so uh, again, this one I cannot really take full credit for, but um, I had a few colleagues um, who, on their own, they really wanted to have a company choir. And apparently, there was one in the past, but I wasn't there yet. But that is in many people's memories here. And uh, because to get a choir, they need a lead, somebody who organizes and mm. actually facilitates and conducts the choir. And um, so they basically, because of my music awareness uh, of everybody knowing me as a musician here, they asked me if I would ever be interested in leading that choir. And at that point in time, actually, I never led a choir before, only like very amateurishly back in school and um, not really professionally. But I thought, I mean, nobody else is doing it. Why not give it a try and let's see how good it goes. Again, right, same mindset. What What's the worst that can happen? Let's just give it a try and let's do it. Yeah. So um, we put out flyers. We started recruiting choir members. We didn't know it would be so popular. So getting to 50 plus is already really more than far more than expected of people to join. And I really enjoyed the process. For me, it became a thing of being reflected on how product management works and how leading collaborations work, but also my musician side of things to prepare again for the rehearsals of looking at the sheet music we have and the songs we're going to sing together, knowing what's going to be difficult, what's going to be easy parts of it all and then leading the rehearsals accordingly. Um, so, yeah, I, I love it. So, I mean, it made me learn a lot about how to conduct music and I learned a lot about how music brings people together and, the feeling of this community when we were together is amazing. Like it goes beyond usual teamwork and department. It's just that passion that combines all of us together. And we're all there voluntarily, which makes it very, very fun.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, I did get goosebumps while he, uh, listening to your to your comment regarding the, the, the choir. No, but I mean, um, I think the question for everyone is then, when can we buy the world tour tickets?
1: <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so, again, here I would say um, I'm not against uh, having more gigs and public gigs for the choir, but it depends on the choir being feeling ready and being comfortable with the tune, right? Because it started with more of a psychologically safe space. It's It's like this group where we don't let any observers in. It's just really only the ones that actively participate. And while we're all singing, everybody gets a bit vulnerable, right? Because nobody usually sings at work. So being mm. singing together with everyone else that sings, it's psychologically a safe space, but also... Um, you are sharing a personal side of yours. And I do get that if you're doing a gig outside, then it's a different nature of things. All of a sudden, you're a performer, right? You're not just basically uh, processing things and doing something for your own enjoyment. You're doing it now for others to um, basically have a good impression of you. So that change, I think, and that jump needs some preparation. Um, But, I mean, I I see already some core members who are really eager to organize gigs and so on. So I think we're going to get there. It's more about, I want to make sure that everybody's on board. I'm not going to force it on anyone.
0: Right. So. Yeah. So, um, maybe last uh, comment regarding this, uh, I wish you luck and, um, enjoy the, the process. I think the process is, uh, much more interesting than kind of the result, but you know what I mean? Um, maybe self-awareness, self-reflection, mental health, recharging and purpose. Buzzword bingo or what?
1: Uh, I don't think it's buzzword bingo. I think it's only buzzword bingo if you talk about it and don't do it, right? That is when it's a buzzword bingo. But if you really take it seriously, then I think it can definitely improve your life. And especially, I think, when you're in difficult situations, this is when self-awareness, self-reflection, listening to your own head and your heart becomes really, really important because you cannot just ignore it either, but you have to somehow get yourself out of there again. Right. And, um, yeah, I would say absolutely. It's, um, it's very important. Um, but we should all find our way to deal with it accordingly and not just talk about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for your thoughts regarding this. Um, with that, we are at the end of our conversation, um, or also regarding our time. Right. Um, but, um, maybe over to you for the last, Last words. Uh,
1: Sure. I would say the one thing I love to quote is Picasso. And he said that the enemy of um, uh, and the other common sense is the enemy of creativity, basically. And that means that if you want to be creative and it sometimes doesn't feel rational that you're creative. But being creative means exactly that to do something, even if it doesn't make sense. And then just, you know, share your creativity with the world and do it. I think um, not everything will work, but it can work. And I think the world deserves to see more creativity. Um, and, yeah, I'm excited for maybe this hopefully inspiring a few people to put themselves out there and share a little bit of their creativity more.
0: Thank you, Kai, for your time. You. Appreciate it. And once you are in Munich, let me know. The coffee is on me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Perfect. Take care. Bye.